This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Amazingly, as we get started today, amazingly, in the newsroom today, in the midst of the deluge, the monsoon-like rainstorm, I mean, it was coming down out there mid-afternoon today. In the midst of that rainstorm, there was a call on the emergency scanner for, guess what, guess what? Correct. A rope rescue. Another rope rescue. I don't even know who was outside in this stuff, but two kids that apparently got themselves into trouble somehow and needed help. Now, this was not at Albion Falls. This was at a different one, but nonetheless, it defies logic. It defies common sense. It defies all sense of self-preservation, all that stuff. But there's more. Because if you were listening earlier in the week when Scott Gardner, the photographer from The Spectator, if you were listening, you you heard the interview with him. He was back up for something today. He was back up around there and was talking to, he was taking some photos because the city has sent up its workers. They are putting up, they are refixing the fence. They're getting it back in place. They're putting up big new signs. As the city workers were doing their work, there are people trying to go through the fence and asking how you get down to the waterfall, asking the city workers who are building a protective device. The people are going, hey, uh, get out of the way, please, and uh, how do you get down there? And they're like, no, you don't go down there. That's the whole point of this. Clearly, whatever is being done isn't working, still isn't working. Well, on Monday when we were chatting with Scott Gardner, My next guest was listening and wanted to get in, but couldn't get through. And I said, you know what, though? We want to get you on here to get your thoughts, because this seems like someone who might have some really good ideas about what the city should be doing. Greg Lenko is the founder and executive director of the Escarpment Project. He joins me now. Greg, how are you today? Hi, Scott. I'm good. I'm actually at Albion Falls right now. I thought I'd come and have a look and tell you what's happening here. You are not at present requiring any rescue. (laughs) Definitely not. Oh, thank goodness. All right. Because that, you know, as much as we like to have excitement on the show, that would be too much excitement and a little too ironic. It would be good for ratings, though. Uh, You know, I, yeah, everyone tune in. We're having a live rope. You know, Greg, (laughs) you know what? You may be onto something. Next person who requires a rope rescue while you're waiting for the fire trucks to arrive, call us and we'll do a play by play live. If I hear about it, I'll do the play by play. I only live around the corner. Um, First of all, before we get into this, just so people know, what is the Escarpment Project? The Escarpment Project is Ontario's largest volunteer environmental cleanup, and we clean up specifically the Escarpment, uh, and right now we go from Dundas to Grimsby all at the same time on the same day. Uh, Last year we had over 800 volunteers come out. We regularly get a number like that, and we've never had a serious injury. And you obviously, I mean, you are people who care about the escarpment and as, and, and because, I mean, the escarpment, this is all part of it. It's the, you care about the fact that these are great places to be able to go look at you. I don't think you want them shut down or closed off oh, entirely. Definitely not. And you know what? I don't believe that's the city's plan. No, I don't think so either. But let, let's go right back. Sure. I cannot remember prior to this year, maybe, maybe a year and a half, I don't know, uh, this being a thing. So what has happened that seemingly a lot of people have become very stupid all of a sudden? Well, I wouldn't say it's stupid. It's just they're, they're very excited. And when people get excited, you know, like when you watch a football game, you just lose it. And you think, oh, let's go down there. And there's trails here that are what we'll call goat trails. People start them and say, let's get a closer look. And, you know, so the foot, you know, the trail's two feet long. And then someone gets a little closer and the trail becomes four feet long and then 10 feet long. Next thing you know, it's the top of the cliff. And 
And you can tell by all the mountain access road work that's being done because of erosion, this place is eroding too. And so before where you might have been able to step on a certain rock, you can't now. So that's part of it. The other part is social media and selfies. Uh, Everybody Mm. wants to come here. They're posting their pictures, sending them to friends, their selfies, the pictures of the falls. And uh, so everyone's coming here now. And so more people means more accidents because people haven't changed their behavior. They've been walking around in the water at the falls and climbing the rocks here since I was a kid and probably before that. Okay, let me back up for just a second because I will take issue with one thing, and that is I do think a lot of time it is stupidity. And You and I can disagree on this, but if you're walking, I understand the goat trails and the paths and everything else, but if you're walking and you begin to get close to the edge of a cliff... Oh, without a doubt. Common sense says you stop. You don't keep going right to the very edge of the cliff. Yeah, and some people go, well, I'm, I'm going to dare myself to do it, and they do it. And that is, that's a lack of common sense, without a doubt. Okay, so, all right, so we go to this, we got this thing where social media, and I agree with you, is a big thing, because now not only are you standing there near the edge to get the great picture, but you're leaning over and doing, I mean, it, I, yeah. I understand. I would bet, and I have nothing to back this up. This is entirely my just instinct. I bet you that probably 75% of those who have required rope rescues, if you were to grab their phone when you bring them up, there's a selfie on there taken shortly before they fell in. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it at all. Um, with the exception of a couple, because they were they happened at night. Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and in winter. But there was, and, and but you know what, Greg, here's the other thing, though. This I can't remember, I, I, I hate to say what it is, and I, I can't remember. It was an official body. I don't know if it was, I don't think it was Tourism Hamilton, I'm not sure. But they were asking for selfies earlier this year. And the oh, picture, really? the picture that they used as the example, and again, I, I, I'm going to take back Tourism Hamilton. I don't think it was them, but I'm not sure. I'll, i got to look it up. The picture that was shown as the example was a person sitting on a ledge over one of these cliffs. And it was like, oh. how in the world can you then be surprised when people do this? Oh, I know. I see it all the time. Um, I, I, I come here on a regular basis along with some other people. And we see people sitting on outcrops and stuff like that all the time. And I'm looking at an outcrop now. Earlier, when I got here, there was people sitting on it. And the rock is actually on an angle. So maybe not this year, but in the next few years, it's probably going down. So, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, pretty dangerous. And then you add the fact that there's, you know, in summer, you've got the water, especially on a day like today when it's been raining. And then you have algae. If you're, if you're walking around on the top of the falls, you have algae uh, growing on the rocks. Yeah, so, it's very slippery. Extremely slippery. So... That's part of it. Okay, so so Greg, what do we do then? I mean, you're, you, again, you have people who volunteer here and are I, I trust, and you said you've had no injuries. I, so the people are being careful and they're being smart and they're being responsible. Yeah. Not um, everyone clearly is doing that. How do you fix this short of putting spiked fence or landmines all around the top of these things? You'd like to do that sometimes, wouldn't you? Um, well, there, there are a lot of things. We had a meeting with uh, 12 people. We came up with at least 30 ideas. And believe it or not, one of the ideas wasn't a chain-link fence. It was a different type of fence. Because people can put their toe in the chain-link fence and climb over. And time and time again, I've seen fences along the escarpment near other waterfalls, specifically uh, Shadok in that area, where people have cut through the fence, gone over the, under the fence, or just torn it down. So that's... One reason I don't believe in chain link fences. There is a different type of fence um, that is uh, vertical bars. People can't put their toe in and they can't climb over it. If you get an eight foot fence, no one's going over it. So that's one way to do it. The other way is 
it's really simple. If you want people out of the water, tell them what's in it. Well, yeah. I, yeah. Not, not, people don't realize this maybe here in Hamilton. The creek here, and I hate saying this because I love Hamilton. I love the waterfalls and the escarpment and the nature. But this creek runs by the dump. So there's a lot of dump groundwater getting into it. And the way the sewer system is set up here in Hamilton, on an overflow day like to, like on a heavy rain day like today, when uh, the, the pipes, the normal pipes, can't handle all the water at one time, it spills over into the creeks. So you, And I saw people down here today uh, a few minutes ago wading in their bare feet in the water. And I'm going, you have no idea what's in that, do you? So that's another way. Tell people, you know, it's, you don't you don't want to tell people because you want visitors to say, "Hey, great, this is Hamilton. Look at it," and you know, you, you kind of have to tell them though. Uh, maybe we, yeah, you've come up with a good idea. Let's go all Caddyshack on people and just every day have someone sprinkle O Henry bars to float around in the water. <laughs> I mean, it won't actually make things dirty, but it'll scare people enough that they don't want to go in there. Duty. I mean, oh, yeah. that, that would be... That would, well, here's the other thing. So, yeah. and, and someone proposed this, and it may have even been me at the office today at the spec, in the newsroom. We put on the cover, and this is, this is a hor- horrible idea, I understand. I grant you, this is not one you want to do. But we put pictures on cigarette boxes now of cancerous mouths oh, yeah. as shock pictures. Yeah. What if you put a picture around at the various openings of the fences of people lying injured on the bottom as as horrible as that would be for the people who have been injured and as callous as that might sound maybe that works you got to do something to get the message across when we had our meeting we said yeah let's do some shock signs and but you got to get you got to do a shock sign that people are going to want to share on social media as well because that's going to get the message out to people already on social media that want to come here um Okay, so again, what what is the? You can do some fences. That's 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 one idea for sure. And your suggestion of even an eight foot fence, uh, Greg, I I believe that would be a deterrent. I don't think that's going to stop everybody though. And maybe no. we can't stop everybody. Maybe nothing we do stops no. everybody. Well, here's the thing: there there are there. Are, well, I don't want to say there's three ways, but there's three parking lots here. And if you come up the creek, you're going to get to the falls one way or another eventually. So you cannot stop people from going down to the falls, okay, or to that to to the falls. So and I think the city realizes that because their long term goal um, is to actually get us get some sort of stairs down to near the falls and a platform where people can stand down there and actually look at the falls from below. And so, so if okay, so if we reduce if we somehow can fence it sort of or make it so there's only a certain number of entrances and you then put up big warning signs Mm-hmm. Is that sufficient then that if someone does fall in, in spite of all of that, we can say you had all the warning in the world you needed and here comes the gigantic fine for trespassing or for whatever else. Is that, yeah, are are, you, are you on board with a fine? Because that's been oh, proposed. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, I'd say a minimum $5,000 fine, if, especially if you need to be rescued, right? If you, if you need to be rescued because you were climbing up and down the escarpment on the, on the cliff face here or in the water and you fell, definitely $5,000 flying off the top. Um, one of the other suggestions I sent to council, uh, well, to Tom Jackson anyway, and the committee, was to put in cameras. That way, when people do fall, if they try to sue the city, we can say, uh, no, look where you fell from. You crossed over. You're actually going to get uh, charged now with trespassing and stuff like that. Yeah, because I, you, you, this, these these falls are easy to set up cameras in. It's kind of square, so you could put one in—I don't want to say a corner, but in 
separate sections where you can have a perfect clear view of everything. Interesting. Yeah, interesting idea. That would be, um, I mean, anything you do, here's the problem, Greg, and, and, and it's unfortunate, but anything that people that the city or you guys or anyone else is going to do to try and stop this, when it goes bad, someone is always going to try to blame not themselves, and there will be a lawsuit about the camera. There will be a lawsuit about the fine. There will be a lawsuit about whatever. It's never going to be easy, but I think somehow we got to do something because oh, it just we, we've reached a point now where clearly, and I am not anyone who listens to this show regularly understands. I am not a big government, government intervention, big brother kind of thing. But oh, if no, you're but too you- stupid to look after yourself, if you have no sense of self-preservation, at least we shouldn't have to pay for you to get helped. No, and so that's where uh, we've said, okay, here are some ideas for revenue gen- generators to put the stuff in place uh, and to continue making money off it for when rescues do happen. So we have some other ideas. I mean, one thing the city, I don't believe, does is take advantage of the escarpment enough. For instance, how about zip lines? They do that in Niagara Falls and Tobermory and Collingwood and other places. You put in a couple of zip lines and you're going to have a tourist attraction. It doesn't have to be here at the falls, but that's going to make a lot of money. Uh, Niagara Falls, they charge 50 bucks per uh, per zip, if you want to call it, per ride. It only lasts a minute. Do you know how many you could do in an hour? <laughs> yeah. you have two li- I'm serious. I'm it would, no, that's not a bad idea. It would pay it's for it. It's a tourist attraction. Well, there's one other thing. we got to let you go, unfortunately. There's one other thing that someone mentioned today, and um, the first artist's conception photos of the new big Hamilton sign that is apparently going to be in front of Hamilton <laughs> City Hall came out. We uh-huh. were talking. More people are up at Albion Falls than are ever in front of Hamilton City Hall. Put the sign there at least. At least have it, you know, if everyone's going to be there, let's put the sign where people are going to see it. I don't know if that solves any problems, but, it, you know, at least then it's it's viewed by more people. Uh, Greg, really, uh, really appreciate the time today. Greg Lenko, the founder and executive director of the Escarpment Project. Your website, by the way, if people want to find it. What's your website? Escarpmentproject.ca. Greg, really appreciate it. Thanks for trying to get in the other night, and thanks for doing this t- this evening. For sure. Uh, again, I, I don't want to, this is not going to be me harping on this thing every single night, every single day, but somehow, and again, today was just one of these, one of these examples in weather that no human wants to be outside in, there's a call for a rope rescue because some people decided they were going to go for a hike. And as Greg says, it gets slippery on these things. And now not only are you hiking in an area that is not particularly safe, but you're doing it in weather conditions that make it even more unsafe. Honestly, like how, how much help do you actually need from other people to protect yourself from harm? There's only so much that society can do for you to make life safe. You're not nine. You're not five. You're not of an age where it is so the general facets of life are so mysterious to you that you don't understand that if you walk into the path of a car, it's going to hurt. You are old enough to understand that if you fall a long way from a dangerous place, that is a bad thing. And I know that they know this. I know they're old enough for this because I believe there's no other explanation for how the call came in other than they had a cell phone. Well, I don't know a lot of four or five-year-olds, first of all, that are let loose through dangerous parts of town, but B, that have their own cell phones. So if you're old enough to carry a cell phone, if you're old enough to be responsible with that, you're surely old enough to know that stepping off the edge of a big hole into a big bottom is not good. 
And if, if, if you, with all the warnings and all the talk, if you still can't get that, and now we as a society have to come to your aid, again, we're not talking, I am not talking here about the, I don't even know what it would be, but the wildly unusual circumstance that might lead someone to have an incident here. I mean, I suppose that someone could call me up and say, but what if this happens? All right, fine. Right. If you could, there may be something, your dog goes running away from you towards the cliff and you run after the dog to try and stop it and you slip. I mean, may, okay, maybe that, but these are, we're not hearing that these stories are at are rescuers, citizen rescuers who happen to slip and fall in. These are just people who are out goofing around or getting close to the edge. Norm just wrote in, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it not always adults getting hurt? I would, Norm, I don't have the actual numbers in front of me, but best of my recollection, there may have been a child or two, but not many. It's primarily adults. It's almost always adults. And again, if you're old enough to understand basic survival principles, as in you look both ways before crossing the street. Although I got to tell you, you walk through a parking lot these days and a lot of people seem to believe that if they just walk out in front of a car, the car will stop. And if they don't, I guess I just sue. I mean, I don't know what. I can't tell you how many times recently I've had someone just step off a curb in a parking lot in front of me, assuming I'm going to stop. Not a good idea. I'm trying to stop, but what if I sneeze? What if I... Anything could happen. But back to my point, if you're old enough to understand that not looking both ways and getting hit by a car is a bad thing, if you're old enough to understand that drinking cleaning fluid would be a bad thing under the sink, if you're old enough to understand that having a bath with your toaster oven is a bad thing, you're surely old enough to understand that standing on the edge of a cliff with a long drop is a bad thing. And if you still decide to do it, I have no problem whatsoever with you paying something to the folks who then have to pay people to rescue you. No problem at all. No sympathy for you. Sympathy if you get hurt, but not sympathy for why you got hurt. That's, that's your problem. Get well soon. I hope you get fully better. I hope all your injuries recover, but man, you were stupid and careless and costly to the city who now has to bail you out. You're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900 CHML. People continue to call and write in. Well, give us a couple of the other uh, ideas people have had for what to do to solve this problem. Well, Fred just thinks we should have undercover cops there who ticket people $5,000 if they're doing something like that. But Doug had a more creative uh, solution. Doug thinks turn the whole thing into a massive tourist trap. It already is. And then beyond (laughs) that, rope rescue is now part of the amusement. You don't get to go into the falls and get rope rescued unless you pay, you line up, and then you, you go down into the falls and a rope rescue team comes again you and you get to take pictures being rescued and all this and you, they print out and you cost $20 and then, for it. And them. then at the end, it's like when you're at Disney and you go in and they have the picture of you exactly. on the roller coaster at the end and you can order your rope rescue pictures. That's right. Everyone who goes to Albion Falls now has to pay a $50 rope rescue preamble surcharge in case you get rescued. It's like an insurance policy. You know what? It, see, I told you people listening to this show have good ideas. I told you. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. 
If you are an Olympic fan, and who who doesn't love the Olympics? I mean, we all love the Olympics. No one's no one's against the Olympics. We love it when our athletes go. We love it when they do well. It makes us feel great about our country. We sit there on the couch for two weeks or two and a half weeks. We cheer our brains out. But here's the catch. Here's the glitch. Here's the fly in the Olympic ointment, if you will. It's what happens after, because the countries that bid on this, the cities that bid on these games, pay a fortune to build the facilities. We will never know how much Beijing actually paid for the Olympics to build that stuff, because that government doesn't exactly have freedom of information laws. We're not going to find out what they spent. Sochi was apparently for a Winter Olympics, remember it was like 50 billion, more than 50 billion dollars? Athens, several years ago, uh, somebody went, this was, these were taken in 2016, it appears. So Athens happened, the Athens Olympics were 2004, you'll recall. In 2016, and you can find all this online, you can go and look all this stuff up. A photographer went to the site of the Athens Olympics to see what was left there. And it was a full-on disaster. Billions of dollars were spent on the venues. And I'm sitting here looking at a a site right now that's showing the pictures. The softball stadium, all the seats and everything are to some degree still there, but the field itself is just a barren weed land, never used. The fountains, all rusted out and vandalized. The beach volleyball arena, the whole thing is covered in dust and grime. The, the, the training pool in the Olympic village is filled with frogs and the water is brown and there is rust everywhere and everything is cracking and murky and disgusting and filled with pollution. You, I mean, we're talking about what happens at the bottom of Albion Falls. This water, I guarantee you, you dunk your head in the water that's in this pool right now, you will be dead within five minutes. This is like being bitten by a black mamba. All right. The field hockey venue looks like a tornado blew through it. Archery, same thing. It looks, honestly, the archery venue looks like a trailer park after a tornado has hit. On and on and on. The Olympic sports complex, all the stairs are now rusted out. We're talking only 13 years ago. It's only 13 years. The diving pool at the aquatic center, abandoned, empty. There's some little water in there. The, outside the Taekwondo stadium, all the concrete has broken apart and it looks like it's just, this looks like, honestly, all these pictures, you put them together, And this has become, it looks like, a post-apocalyptic after the nuclear bomb has gone off and you have come out of your bunker 10 years later and this is what's left. The seats at the baseball stadium have half an inch of dust on them, which is amazing in, in such a short time. You go on and on and on. Every bit of the facilities in Athens are disastrous. The Olympic canoe kayak slalom has been drained of water and now just looks like it's nothing. The beach volleyball area is a disaster. I I could go on and on. Here's the problem, though. Here's the thing. Athens, while it was only 13 years ago, was 13 years ago. There has been some kind of time that has passed that has allowed this kind of entropy to take place, where everything goes from a state of order to a state of chaos. This has happened. These facilities were built at huge cost. 
with no consideration apparently for what was going to be done afterwards. There was no, there's no beach volleyball league. There's no softball league apparently in Athens. There's no baseball league apparently in Athens. Everything has, is sitting there. There's no diving. You don't have like house league diving teams. Maybe you do, but not there because nothing is being used and it's just being allowed to waste away and they don't have any money to deal with it either, which is a big part of the problem. You do know, you've heard stories, I'm sure, over the years about Greece. They've, they've had some financial problems over the years. But that's 13 years ago. So there is at least a sense of, hmm, that's interesting that that can happen in 13 years. Sad, but okay, I can see that. Let's move forward though, because this time last year, the first athletes were trickling into Rio, into the new grandiose Olympic area, the Olympic compound that had been built at, originally it was supposed to be $4.6 billion to do the Olympics. The Associated Press about three months ago looked at everything again and said the actual cost was probably about $13.1 billion, $13.1 billion to build the venues, and it's a year. The Olympic Games started on August 5th last year. So we're at this time in the calendar, we're not even a full year away from the Olympics starting. We're getting close, but the athletes are showing up about a, almost exactly a year ago. They're beginning to trickle in to get their spots in the athletes' village and get settled because they're getting ready for competition. What could possibly happen in the span of a year? Well, a photographer went to Rio's venues, to the Rio Olympic area, and took pictures. And you want to know something? It looks as bad as Athens without the 13-year head start. The pool, the practice pool, I can't even begin to describe how disgusting this looks. There is a layer of scum and scudge and whatever on top of brown water that, again, would kill you if you got into it. The golf course. They built a golf course. Remember they built the golf course in Rio because they were bringing golf back. Cost millions of dollars. Half of the grass is dead now. Doesn't look like it's been kept up at all. The tennis facilities. Well, they were pretty much taken away right off the bat and it's just ground that has been scraped away. Um, Nothing is there. The BMX track. Ruined. The aquatic center looks like it's about to fall down. I, I don't expect that it ra- really is, but that's what it looks like. Go on and on and on here. The the There are weeds everywhere. Nothing has been kept up. I just, it's, it's stunning to see these pictures. It is stunning. And of course, the entire, if you recall, the Olympic area at Rio was done in a part of town they had cleared out. It's not being used at all. There's nobody in any of these pictures. It is completely abandoned, including the abandoned athlete's village. The inside of the aquatic venue, no water. Seats completely empty. Disrepair the soccer stadium, the Maracana Stadium that was part of the 2014 World Cup and the Olympics, is now rusty and has holes in the walls and the grass is dead. The... Stadium has been vandalized heavily. TVs and seats and everything else have been have been ripped out and taken away. You go on and on and on. The prefabricated houses, which were used for the games, have now been many of them knocked down. The media center has been has been destroyed, has been knocked down and taken away. 
the point of all this is two things. First, it is absolutely stunning to think that a country could spend this much money on something and then not have any plans on how they're going to keep it up and just let it fall apart. If you spend $13.1 billion, imagine for a second, let's forget $13.1 billion. Let's say you decided that you there was a house that you saw that you were driving along and you saw this house and it was for sale and it was a pricey house. This was This was stretching the limits of what your finances could handle. Let's say you were thinking, you know, I could afford a $300,000 house, but this one was $500,000. And you thought, oh, I don't know, but I really love this house. I really want to be in this house. I would hope that one of the things you would contemplate when deciding whether to go all in and spend all that money is, what happens when I need a roof? What happens when I need to fix a crack in the wall or need to have a plumbing repair or something? I need to have at least some extra money that I can look after this place. That would be something you would think about if you were buying a house. They bought a $13.1 billion house here in Rio and never planned apparently for what they were going to do with it. But that's the first. There's three things. That's the first thing. The second thing, the IOC, the Olympic Committee, always tells us in these sweeping, wondrous tales that I halfway expect that unicorns and rainbows are going to fly out of the IOC president's butt when he tells these stories. This is going to change a part of the world. We are coming. This was the first Olympics in South America. We're coming to South America to bring joy of sport and community and facilities to help down the road. We are going to improve the lot in life of all the people who live here with the great things we're bringing. And again, I'm not dumping on the Olympic Games. The Games themselves are wonderful. But how is it that the, the IOC continues to choose places to host these games with these giant, grandiose ideas of world building. And then the second the games are over, where's the IOC to say, hey, wait a second, you told us this was going to be done. The IOC apparently couldn't care less once the torch is is extinguished and the games are over. They couldn't care less. At least that's how it appears. That's what they would show by the fact that all these venues, Sochi, Athens, in Yugoslavia and Sarajevo when it was there, in uh, Rio now, all these places they decide to go that get completely wiped out, get worn down, get not used, become abandoned. Where's the IOC to say, no, this is not what we're talking about. This is not what we were supposed to be doing. Maybe what we should be doing, says should say the IOC, is we've now had enough exposure, enough examples of cities in parts of the world that really we know can't afford this. I don't know if there's a city in the world that can't afford it, but we know that some of these places that have difficult economies that are struggling, maybe we shouldn't be so pie in the sky. Maybe we shouldn't be putting this weight on them, financial weight on them, because it doesn't work. But the IOC does not seem to care what happens after it's done. And finally, the third thing is, why would you want to bid on this now? And now I, I believe we've seen examples 
We've seen examples in Vancouver and Calgary, in our country, two great examples where facilities have been maintained, have been kept up, have been used to help athletes down the road, have been used to win medals later on. The Calgary winter facilities helped many of the athletes win medals in Vancouver because they could train on these facilities. There are places that do this right. And Calgary is now bidding on another Winter Olympics, or at least is thinking about bidding on another Winter Olympics. The key there is they want to use many of the same facilities that existed. That's a smart way to do it. That's the way you do it. You already have facilities. You don't have to spend every dime in your country's coffers to make this thing fly. You don't have to actually have people at the Olympics going pee in gold-plated toilets, which is what seems to, I mean, they don't really, but I mean, that's what it seems like. Let's find the best of everything and spend the most money we can. And let's just have great games, well-organized at facilities that exist that may need a little bit of refreshing, which is why I believe the IOC probably, if they get another option other than Calgary, will look to go there because, hey, we can build a new facility that'll cost billions of dollars that nobody will use down the road later on. This is why. As much as I love sports, as much as I love the Olympics, as much as I love Olympic athletes, as much as I'm amazed by them, I hope and pray that if anybody now, this is different times, once upon a time, okay, but if anybody now comes forward with the proposal again that Toronto or Southern Ontario should get the Olympics, run, run, run. We do, we can't afford it. We don't need it. It's not a good plan. It's way too much money. And we see what happens. Now, I believe that Toronto would probably look after its facilities. Toronto would not be Rio. Toronto would not be Athens. But I, you look at these too many, you look at so many of these and you say, this is not something any city can afford to build from scratch now. You just can't. I, I would encourage you, go online, just type in Athens Olympic venues, Rio Olympic venues. Sarajevo, Olympic venues, you will be disgusted with the waste of money that has followed these games. The games were great. What came later? Man, in countries that are poor, that need to help their citizens, that can't afford this kind of stuff, this is so disheartening. It's unbelievable. Go look it up. It is worth taking a look at. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Now, generally, when you are talking about a big fight that's coming up, whether you go back all the way to Muhammad Ali or any of the other, you know, big fights in the, in the meantime, Mike Tyson's fights and all, it's the fight. The fight is the fight. The fight is the thing you're waiting for. The fight is the center of attention. Well, just, I don't know, a few minutes ago in Toronto, a press conference ended. Now, you have to understand what's going on right now between Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. They're having a fight. One's an MMA fighter like UFC and one is a boxer, they're meeting. Each is getting about $100 million. This is the fight of all time. It's the fight of all fights uh, until the next fight of all fights comes along. But they are on a world tour right now. Now it's only four stops, but it's all over the place to have live press conferences to pump this fight up, to sell this fight. And the reason they're doing this, these guys are world-class. They're good fighters. They are world-class fight salesmen. The tickets to the fight are in high demand. You couldn't get tickets to go see the press conference today. That is what, this is a show. This is, the fight is a fight. This is high entertainment. 
It was shown live online. It was carried all over the place. There were hundreds of people there. I'm, I can't say I'm completely surprised. I'm a little surprised, though, that there's this much interest in a press conference. Jeff Joslin is the head instructor at Joslin's MMA. He used to be, once upon a time, he fought in the cage with the UFC, among other places. He joins me now. Jeff, how are you tonight? I'm good, Scott. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been too long. Glad to have you back. Um, are you shocked that there's this much interest in two guys talking? Uh, you know, that's the story of uh, Conor McGregor. You know, he's uh, done a fantastic job talking his way into some really big MMA fights and to finally get some big money for a fighter in the UFC. You know, he's done an amazing job and has, uh, has a tremendous amount of skill in terms of uh, his uh, slick talking and uh, quick wit, and I think it's paid out big time for him. So I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. And Mayweather, obviously, uh, has always talked uh, big in uh, boxing as well and been very flamboyant and you know, doesn't hide the fact that he makes a lot of money doing his thing. So I think they're a great combination to uh, to sell a fight. Well, th- these are these may be the two best trash talkers in sports right now on the same stage. For sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, you were okay. So you were, and everyone knows us. You were a great fighter. Uh, you know, got to the highest place in the world for fighting. I don't remember Jeff. I don't recall you being the great talker. I don't recall you being the guy who sold the fights this way. Yeah, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I think I probably, you know, now he doesn't see that what it takes to make that type of money and build that hype. You know, it's, it, you, it, I'm sure Connor's a, a nice, very nice guy, and and uh, he just uh, he knows what it takes to sell, you know, and it's working. It's got us all talking about it. I'm on the show talking about it now. We're talking about it. Uh, we're all going to be watching the fight, you know, regardless of uh, the outcome. I, I think... Uh, you know, he, he knows what it takes to sell, and I, I definitely think, yeah, maybe I would have tr- talked a little. They did try to get me to talk a little trash in my, my first UFC fight, but I, like you said, I, I was trying to go the nice guy approach, you know, show my skills and just come in with skills, but I think a combination of great skills with uh, good talking is uh, obviously the recipe for uh, uh, big paydays. I was going to ask you if you were sort of encouraged to be a little more out there with your comments. I mean, what did yeah. they tell you? when you? Because for people who don't know, before you had a televised fight, it was on um, Spike Channel, it was against Josh Koscheck in the UFC, and mm-hmm. they, of course, introduce each of the guys, and they have little video clips of you guys sitting there. What did they tell you before you sat down to do that? Uh, yeah, don't, they don't, don't, don't you want to kick his butt? Don't you want to do this? Don't you hate this guy? I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. My coach is like, you're not going to get him to talk like that. <laughs> My coach is like, he knows me, right? And, uh, yeah, so I just, yeah, they were trying to entice you a little bit, and I guess that's their job, and you know, they, they know what uh, what pumps things up. And, you know, now I can see their point of view, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, does it make for a fighter, and again, not someone, because you're not the guy who goes and brags all the time, when they tell you to do that as a fighter, does that make you a little uncomfortable because of the fact, for me, it would be, wait a second, I can say everything you want me to say, but then if I go get my butt kicked by this guy, I look like a moron. Yeah, not so much that. I think I think... Regardless, if you get your butt kicked, you're not going to look that great, anyways. You know, so like if Fair you're enough. a good guy, yeah. If you're a good guy and you get your butt kicked or your trash talk, you get your butt kicked. You still got your butt kicked. So, I, you know, I think more of like I didn't want. I wanted people to see me in a certain type of light. You know, I have, uh, you know, we have the fa- the business here that I run and different things. I didn't want to come out and because some people believe that you are that person. You know, if you're you're acting like a loud mouth and you're acting, and I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of it is an act. You know, and, and it's a skill. Uh, so I, did, I just didn't want to be painted in a, in a light that I, I wasn't comfortable with at the time. Does it impress you, though, that these guys can do this? Whether you like what they do or not, or whether you would do it, when you see them up there with all the cameras and all the attention and the, the shots that are going back and forth and that they can keep up with each other and seem to one-up each other, is that an impressive thing? 
It is. It is. It's a, it definitely a talent, and it's a quick wit. You know, it's almost like that that guy who can do comedy. You know, he just he can just uh, rip off uh, jokes and make people laugh. And but in this case, it's the trash talking. And you know, you go back and you watch Conor McGregor's highlight reel of his best and funny moments. You can't help but just laugh and smile. And he does such a great job of shutting people down. And it does get in people's heads. You know, I think belief goes a long way. Like he, I don't think Conor's the most you know the most technical uh, overall fighter or anything like that. But his belief in himself can can carry you, and sometimes that can break the other guy down before the fight even starts. So, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. So Connor definitely believes in himself, and I think that can uh, sometimes close up some of the uh, weaknesses he has in his game. Did you ever face somebody who was a talker? Uh... I don't think I did. No, it's I, it's, it's a rare thing, but I think you're going to start seeing more of it. <laughs> you know, in terms of uh, you know guys looking to make more money. Even some of my athletes now, you know, they're working on their their game and <laughs> upcoming guys, and they're like, uh, Jeff, can I say this? Should I say this stuff? I'm like, yeah, go ahead, man, do it, do it now. You know, but in the past, I might have said, yeah, don't say that. You know, you're going to sound like it, like an idiot. You know, but now it's uh, I think it's. Uh, it, it, it sells, you know, and it is a, a, at the end of the day, it's uh, entertainment, and you've got to increase your stock in in terms of uh, winning, but also selling the fight and making people want to watch you either want to watch you win or want to watch you lose. So, Did anyone ever say anything in the cage? To me, um, did you ever get guys trash talk in the cage when you hit someone? No. Does anyone ever say that didn't hurt? No, I try to put the jab in their mouth before they could talk to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it it does. It's clear though that I mean. People are going to be asked to pay. I don't know. It's probably going to be a hundred bucks or something for the pay per view. I don't know if the numbers are out yet. And they're exp- these guys are each going to get a hundred million bucks, and they're going to fill the arena in Las Vegas. So th- they've got to. There's a lot of people they have to separate from their money. And I'm just wondering, like, is do people want to see this fight for the fight, or is it the sales job? They want to see these two guys with the big personalities and with the big egos. Is that what it's about? Is this is this truly a fight thing we're watching, or is this a marketing thing? I think it's a fight thing because once the, the the they're in the ring and the fight's going, you're not going to have that ability to to entertain with your mouth talking and trash talking. And um, so it's going to come down to the fight. And it, it ultimately comes back to almost like the first UFCs when you had a sumo wrestler versus a karate guy. And you're like, what's going to happen here? Like, I have no idea. Or you had a judo guy versus a jiu-jitsu guy. You really didn't know what was going to happen in some of these instances. So what's going to happen? You've got a guy who's a, you know, he's a good striker in MMA going against the best boxer in the world, uh, you know, one of the top pound-for-pound guys. And what's going to happen? It's, it's, it's unknown territory. In my opinion, I don't think, uh, I think it's going to be an easy night for Mayweather. But you know, that being said, I think. Um, are you allowed you know, to say that as an MMA guy? Are you allowed to say that, or do you get <laughs> kicked out of the fraternity for saying yeah, that? I box too. I'm a boxer as well. So I boxed for a long time, and you know, a little bit. You know, a little bit of everything. I just think, you know, I I, I think. Uh, you see uh, McGregor got dropped and punched by Nate Diaz in a fight. And of all these guys that fight Mayweather, uh, Mayweather all the best guys in the world weren't able to, to knock him out or finish him. How is, how is uh, McGregor going to do it? You know? And that's really the excitement. It's, it's kind of that uh, long shot. It's that Rocky Balboa against uh, you know, the, uh, the current champion. Like, is, is, is he going to be able to pull it out? Is he going to be able to back up his, all his talk? And, and that's the excitement. You know, I think the biggest... Part for me is going to be the walk-in, the music, right when it just starts in the first little kind of uh, few exchanges. You know, it's going to be so exciting to see how these guys line up. But ultimately, I think uh, uh, McGregor's going to, you know, he's going to be a little hesitant, and it's going to be hard to hit Mayweather, and that gets uh, very tiring fast. How many, how many really good strikers are there in MMA, though? I mean, are there many? There are. There are a lot of, there's, a, there's some very good strikers. Um, 
you know, very good. There's a guy, the thing is, it's, it's tough. You know, you need five lifetimes to become, you know, awesome at everything. And uh, you, to be the best boxer in the world that's fighting MMA, you can't do that because how are you going to learn your wrestling? You have to back off on boxing to get, become a wrestler, jiu-jitsu for many years. So you really can't totally specialize in one art. Like Mayweather has just focused on boxing his entire life at the highest level. So, you know, he has that advantage. But you put him in the cage, and there, you saw in the, in the press conference, he was mentioning stuff like that, like he might actually step in the cage. And that would be a, a very bad move for him because he wouldn't last a minute and a half, I don't think, in, uh, in an MMA fight. But, uh, you know, give credit, uh, credit to, to Connor to step into a boxing ring and mix it up. And, I, you know, I think obviously he's going to make a huge amount of money. So win, win or lose, he's, he's going to win, right? If... McGregor were somehow to be able to win this fight, and I, I mean, I'm with you, I think it's a long shot, but if he somehow wins this fight, I think it is a devastating blow to boxing, pardon the, the pun, because if a guy can step in against an undefeated fighter who's one of the best in the world, who isn't even in his own sport, and win this, yeah. it makes boxing look really bad. But if McGregor loses... Does MMA really lose anything here? Like, I, I look at it, and it's like, this is a win-win for MMA. There's really no way to lose this. No, exactly, and McGregor knows that, too. Uh, That's why know, Dana White is galloping along with this whole dog and pony show, because he knows there's no downside. Yeah, if he, if he loses, you know, he uh, obviously, and it's true, you know, the boxing is one part of a fight. He's really pushing that aspect. He's saying, you know, it's one one part of a real fight and boxing is one part of a fight it's punches and you know you're taking away all the uh, the grappling all the jujitsu all the kicks in the face the elbows and the knees so you know the, the game changes quite a bit when that happens um, so I, I, I don't think he really uh, if he can survive you know in 10 rounds or or go to the end of the fight or do pretty good going in or land some good shots I, th- I think it's a really good thing for for the sport of mixed martial arts and uh, uh, you know if um, Mayweather has a little bit of trouble. I just don't see. I don't know. It's, it's exciting to talk about because how is it going to play out? I I I think Mayweather's going to be outclass him, and he should because he's invested his whole life in that uh, sport. But uh, you're going to have to wait till fight. The fight's a fight, and a punch is a punch, and anybody has a chance. Um, but if I had to bet, uh, I'd go Mayweather for sure. Well, I, I, in fact, I think both. What's interesting about this? I think that. Not everyone is an MMA fan. You know that. I'm sure you've heard it from people. People go, oh, I don't really like that, Mr. Joslin. That's, uh, that's kind of grotesque what you do. I'm sure you've heard that from people. And, you know, the Marcus of Queensbury rules, that's real fighting. But I think both sports, boxing and MMA right now, they both needed this because boxing doesn't really right now have a whole lot of big name stars. Most people could not name the heavyweight champion of the world, which is unbelievable when you think even 20 years ago that that would be the case. And MMA... The UFC right now has lost a number of its biggest stars over the last number of years, either to retirement or injury or whatever else. Uh, this They both need this. They both need the attention from this. Whether you're a big MMA fan or you're a standard traditional boxing fan, this is important for both sports. It is. It's huge. And it adds a level of excitement that I think uh, hasn't been in either sport for a long time. I, I, I don't think I've been you know, uh, that excited about any UFC fights or uh, any boxing fights at this point. I think this is exciting uh, in terms of it's something fresh, something new, and I think it was the next uh, step in the evolution of uh, sports entertainment. So I think it's a a very, uh, very important uh, fight for, like you said, the excitement for everybody, all the fans. And, uh, and, you know, both sports uh, are are beautiful. You know, boxing is a huge part of MMA and uh, it's very, very important. Uh, That being said, combine that with all the grappling and all the jiu-jitsu and all the judo and the wrestling and all the other martial arts, and it becomes even better for real combat. 
combat, for real self-defense. That's what a lot of people want to train. They want to learn how to defend themselves. So, you know, in my opinion, mixed martial arts is the closest thing to real fighting, real self-defense. And that's the re- reason why I pursued uh, the sport as a professional, not to go and fight and, you know, because uh, I'm an aggressive person, but it's to make me the best self-defense coach that I can be because I've been in a situation that's realistic. Here's my prediction of what's going to happen. McGregor is going to lose. And then he's going to stand in the center of the ring when he gets a chance to talk with the microphone there, because he will. They're not going to, at the end of the fight, not let him talk. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is going to point out that he came into Mayweather's world, and he came into the boxing ring, and he lost. And now it's time for Mayweather to return the favor and man up and come into the UFC cage and fight him on his ground. And let's see what happens. And he will challenge Mayweather's masculinity and he will do everything because there's a lot of money that would be in that fight too. And I don't think Mayweather would ever think about doing that because as much as it would be a mismatch with a boxing match the way people are looking right now, it would be a huge mismatch for McGregor if this thing ever happened. But I think that's what's going to happen. This is He is going to do everything possible when he loses, and I expect he will, to try and get Con- uh, Floyd Mayweather into the cage for a UFC fight. Yeah, I totally, yeah, yeah, I totally agree, especially the way that he's, um, um, Mayweather's mentioning a bit about the small gloves and a bit about, you know, stepping in a cage or didn't care for the cage or ring. I think, uh, and I, I think it would be the ultimate, uh, you know. Uh, Level playing field. Yeah, it would be, it would be awesome if, if they both did that. Like, say he goes in and Mayweather just schools him and beats him up and just outclasses him and all of a sudden, boom, he gives me opportunity to fight in the cage and then he goes in and then McGregor schools him and outclasses him. You know, that would be a, a really, uh, a great a show of humility and uh, a joining of the sports, uh, you know, per se, and just uh, you know, uh, um, you know, being egoless and, and testing yourself. And wait a and second, eagle. These two guys and you <laughs> use the word egoless. <laughs> no, I, I, McGregor will. And again, I'm jumping to conclusions that he's going to lose, but he will rip Mayweather every chance he gets from here until eternity about his lack of testosterone and being a chicken and being a wimp and all these things. And I don't expect Mayweather would ever take him up on that because he knows there's no chance he wins that fight. For sure, for sure. But, it, you know, he did step into Mayweather's realm, yep. and if he does get schooled that bad, I think uh, it would be kind of cool if he owed it to him to, to uh, you know, put that on the line and do a little bit of wrestling. It's not going to end well, I, I think, but for Mayweather, but uh, that would be a pretty cool story. But like you said, I, I doubt that would happen, you know. Uh, even Mayweather said on one interview, uh, I think today, he said, I've been known to contradict myself, so sometimes he'll say he'll do this, and then he won't do it. A hundred like million that. dollars can help you contradict yourself. <laughs> exactly. I think that can make you... You know, take away the the worry about the ego, right? If it was just okay, I'm putting this on the line. If I lose, I lose. I'm you know that shot on the ego. But now with all that money, it's a win for everybody. You know, it's a win for the fans. It's a win for both fighters. You know, win or lose, I think it's going to be uh, quite the uh, event. Let me just go back as we got one minute here left. Um, going back to this press conference today, where the, which is where this all started. Uh, you were not, as I said, as you said, you were not a real big talker. But when you had opportunities at times. Did you ever walk away from the stage during a press conference or something and go, oh, I should have said that. It comes into your mind right after you walk away. Oh, that would have been a great line. Yeah, every time. You know, we're all, <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a deep thinker, so it's, you know, every time. Anytime I did interviews anywhere in the media, I said, oh, man, I should have thought of that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, they always kind of overanalyze things as a as a martial artist, you know, pick things apart and try to be better every time you, you do it. But well, you uh, also, Jeff, I, I do want to say as we go here, you did one of the all-time great interviews not so much what you had to say but tell the story of what happened after your fight was it in montreal when you had to do a tv interview after the fight oh what was it what was it about i forget with uh, your teeth 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That TV, yeah. One, t- one fight I was fighting John Fitch, I got headbutted, it knocked my teeth out. So I'm like, my teeth fell out. So then the uh, referee didn't even call the headbutt. So after the fight, they're coming in, all the cameras are coming in. So my coach jams my tooth back in, and one's lower than the other one. He says, was one longer than the other one? I said, coach, no way. So I twisted it in, I put it back in, and while they were interviewing me, I kept having to push my teeth back in because I didn't want them to fall out, right? So it was an illegal technique that took my teeth out, but... Uh, it's uh, obviously makes for great stories, so well, it's a lot of fun. And, and, and they're reattached. You're not you're exactly. not talking like this anymore. You got you got them put back into place. Exactly. Thank God for um, modern dentistry. Jeff Joslin of uh, Joslin's MMA. Jeff, always appreciate talking to you. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, you will be seeing. I guarantee you, even if you have no, and again, I understand this. Even if you have no interest in MMA and UFC, that kind of thing, and I know that many of you don't, and that is totally fine. I know that some people love it, and I know that some people despise it, but I'm telling you that you will, as we get closer to August 20, I think it's 26th, the day is 24th or 26th, whatever the fight day is, you will, as we get closer, not be able to escape this because I'm telling you, whatever you have thought was hype before, this is going to be on a different level. These, I'm telling you, these two guys, first of all, you've got two entire apparatus, the, the apparatus of two complete sports are behind this thing. And you've got two of the best sellers of their sport, two of the best talkers. And the other part is there is nothing else going on. It's, I mean, the CFL, yeah. Okay. The CFL is on. Yes. But NHL hasn't started. NBA hasn't started. Major league baseball is still in the sort of the late bit of the dog days of summer. This has the stage to itself. You will be hearing about this. And here's my prediction, and this is why we're talking about it today. Even if right now you are saying, I don't care, I'm never going to watch that, I'm never even going to care about the outcome, I will bet you that you will, even if you will keep it a secret, even if you swear to everybody that you don't care, you will check the outcome. If you don't watch the fight, you will check the outcome the next day just to find out because that is the kind of hype machine that is kicking in. The Super Bowl has nothing on what we're going to get as far as hype right now. I'm telling you, that's why we're talking about today. Love it or hate it, you will be immersed in it by the time it rolls around. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. The reason we're bringing Bob Ross up, A, because he's come back into vote. Everyone, everyone today remembers that being on TV. But the there's a minor league baseball team, the Daytona Tortugas, the Class A affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds. This weekend is having Bob Ross night. <laughs> anyone, I love this. Anyone, for 35 bucks, you get a bobblehead, you get a t-shirt, you get, for five extra dollars, you get a, uh, uh, you get game tickets. For five extra bucks, you get a two glasses of wine, and you get art supplies, and pregame, there will be a, someone from the Bob Ross Foundation giving art classes on how to paint this stuff. Also, prior to the game on Bob Ross Day, um, they have the Bob Ross Happy Little 5K <laughs> and other things that are going on. This is a hilariously brilliant minor league promotion. Hey, I just got to play you something I just found, Scott. It's from PBS Digital Studios. Hit it. Let's go up to the canvas here and let's get started. I believe, I believe, every day's a good day when you paint. I believe, I believe, it'll bring a lot of good thoughts to your mind.
It's a remix of Bob Ross's instructions into a tune. PBS made this. I really think that we should change our intro music for the show and just go with this one. This is like Mr. Dress Up meets Bob Ross. Amazing. So, I love that. Anyway, Bob Ross game, Bob Ross night, the Daytona Tortugas are doing this, and this is in line with what many other minor league teams do. They have a lot of games, they have a lot of people to try and draw in, and it's lower level baseball, so how do you bring people in? Well, we're going to have really creative, wacky, zany ideas that we're going to do to try and get people to come to the ballpark. So... What kind of wacky, crazy ideas other than Bob Ross night, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I can't go through them all because, first of all, there have been a million nights where the team just wears a special shirt. Like they'll wear Star Wars shirts where the home team will be C-3PO and the other team will be Darth Vader or something. There's, like, there's been a lot of those, minor league hockey, minor league baseball. But here's some of the some of the really creative. And I uh, full applause to the marketing teams and the creative teams from these minor league squads because many of these places have staffs of three or four or five. I mean, we're not talking about entire armies of people coming up with these ideas. These are small offices that come up with these ideas and then implement them. And if they do them well, they're great. Sometimes they do them stinky and they don't work so well, but here we go. Here are some of the great minor league baseball promotional nights that we've had in recent years. Uh, the New Britain Rockcats, which is a double-A team for the Minnesota Twins, back in 2007, uh, had speed dating night that throughout the park, you um, eligible bachelors and bachelorettes change seats every half inning. That's how long you had to date with them. And um, you scored, they scored their encounters on scorecards, which were sent to a dating company to determine, and it would go up on the scoreboard, some of them, to determine whether you're going to have another date. Okay, that was, I'll give that one about a 7 out of 10. Maybe it's because I'm married and I'm not looking for speed dating, but a 7 out of 10. The Altoona Curve AA team, which is Pittsburgh Pirates AA team, several times has held Awful Night. This I love. Awful Night, where the entire purpose of the evening is to make your experience as unpleasant as possible. <laughs> Intentionally unpleasant. So, for example, you know when they have a promotion, you go to the Jays and they have bobblehead night, and people are bobblehead day at the Jays game, and people line up hours before the game to get a bobblehead, and there's almost fist fights to get in. There's no such thing as a good bobblehead and awful night. The last time they held it, uh, everyone who showed up, instead of a bobblehead, got a spork. One of those plastic spoon and forks that, you know, why would, um, the PA announcer, oh, the, and by the way, everyone had to wear really ugly clothes to the game. The PA announcer intentionally mispronounced all the names of the players on both teams. And the person doing the music came up with the worst songs, the most annoying, aggravating songs that he or she could possibly come up with. That one, see, that is fun. That is a great one. Um, the Nashua Pride is no longer a team. It's gone defunct. Uh, they, back a number of years ago in 2002. Now, remember what the biggest show on TV was in 2002 or one of them? Who wants to be a millionaire? Well, they didn't have the budget to give away a million dollars. So they had, who wants to be a Turkish millionaire? <laughs> they had, the game show was played out between innings and the winner received a million Turkish lira, which is a couple dollars. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, again, very clever. 
The Hudson Valley Renegades, a number of years ago, in 2007, had a toilet seat cushion night, where if you, everyone got a cushion, a seat cushion in the, sh- in the form of a toilet seat, in the shape of a toilet seat, yeah, so-so. Not, not a great one. I'll give that one about a 6 out of 10. This one is one of my favorites, all-time favorite. Whoever came up with this, not only was it a creative idea, but it surely angered a number of people on the flip side who didn't see the humor in this. But I love it. Political correctness night. <laughs> so um, the first baseman was not the first baseman, nor was anyone else. The first baseman was the first base person throughout the game. <laughs> and anytime there was an error that was recorded, it was not given to any particular player, lest he feel badly about himself. So it was just an error to nobody in particular, and on and on and on with political correctness. Like that was the Lowell Spinners, Boston's Class A team. Uh, the Blue Jays, Dunedin Blue Jays got in on this on one time, 2009. Office Space Night. Do you ever see, Will, have you ever seen the movie Office Space? I love it. Office Space is a cult classic movie. 1999, the movie came out. 2009, the Dunedin Blue Jays Class A team had Office Space Night. Uh, con- uh, fans could have an opportunity to participate in a flare contest with a 15-item nice. maximum, a trivia contest from the movie, uh, and and the kicker was whoever won the draw was allowed to smash a printer with a baseball bat. Oh, that's amazing. I, I have one question, though. Oh, and if you said the word stapler, you got a discount at all concessions. Okay, I was going to ask, how, how do they work in this stapler? <laughs> you got a discount for saying stapler. Uh, Fort Myers Miracles, don't know what level this is, uh, had Mike Tyson Ear Night, in which everybody received a plastic ear in honor of what he did to Evander Holyfield's ear. Mike Tyson actually showed up to throw out the first pitch for that one. Um, yeah. Uh, this one's kind of cool. Not really funny, just kind of cool. The St. Paul Saints in 2004 had a live auction during the game to have a chance to go up and get an at-bat during the game in the ninth inning. Whoever bid the most amount of money got to get uniformed up and go down on the field, and you got to bat. You went in as a pinch hitter in the ninth inning. It was a minor league, so they raised $5,601 which was, you know, it's not bad. Imagine how much money they would raise with a live auction in a Major League Baseball game. If you could go and have an at-bat for the New York Yankees, what would pe- what would someone pay for that? Think, considering, not only do you get to go up to at-bat, probably in Yankee Stadium, but you then, and you can't do this, by the way, because you need a Major League contract, but nonetheless, you then would be entered in all baseball records from here to eternity. Anything you looked at, baseball almanac, baseball reference, all those things, you would be a person in the world of baseball. That, to me, you would get hundreds of thousands of dollars for a chance to have an at-bat. Nobody night. This was a clever one. The Charlestown River Dogs, New York Yankees farm team, in 2002 held nobody night. Nobody was allowed into the ballpark until the, after the, until the bottom of the fourth inning when the game was officially a game so they could have the lowest attended game ever in the history of baseball. That's pretty good. That's pretty clever. The attendance, the official attendance was zero. 2003, Fort Myers Miracle Class A advanced minor league team for the Minnesota Twins had... George Costanza Knight. Love George Costanza Knight. Everything the team did for that game was the opposite. 
<laughs> so they the home team batted first. They wore their road uniforms. Um, this, of course, the joke because George Costanza in one episode of Seinfeld, who was kind of a loser, he did everything opposite to what he to his instincts, and everything went right for him. They wore the road uniforms. They ran the scoreboard from the ninth inning to the first. They paid customers to park their cars in the parking lots. They switched the men's and women's washrooms. They had the players ask fans for autographs, and on and on and on. That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Charlestown River Dogs had silent night where throughout the game, nobody in the stadium was allowed to talk or cheer. You were encouraged to bring signs to reflect your opinions about what was going on. And you even had to bring, make homemade signs to flag down the beer guy or the, the person. Nobody could, so it was completely silent throughout the entire game. That was pretty good. Uh, this one was pretty cheeky. The Fullerton Flyers in California were hosting Jose Canseco, who was playing in the Independent League back then, after his major league career. Now, you remember what Jose Canseco was famous for? There's a few things. One was hitting a ball into the fifth deck of Roger Center, then Skydome against Mike Flanagan. It was, I think, still the furthest ball ever hit. Among other things, he, he had other things too, but the other thing, steroids. Jose Canseco was um, a big boy, thanks to some help. So, of course, um, the Fullerton... Flyers held juice box night. Juice? Juicing? Juice box? Yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty cheeky. Um, here, the, the, the this was my all-time favorite until Bob Ross night. The Brooklyn Cyclones, two years ago, held salute to Seinfeld night. If you thought the Costanza night was pretty good, take a listen to what they put into Seinfeld night. Now, if you're not a Seinfeld fan... If you never watched any of Seinfeld, many of these things will mean nothing to you. But this is this is meticulous planning of the highest order for a minor league baseball team's night. The park, MCU Park, where they play, was renamed for one night Vandalay Industries Park. Fans had a pregame muffin top eating competition. There was the Costanza trash eating competition where they had to eat food out of a trash can like George Costanza did with the eclair. A Cyclones employee was placed in a bubble on the concourse and played anyone who wanted to in Trivial Pursuit, the bubble boy. They had cute photos of kids in the ballpark were put up, pictures of them up on the screen with breathtaking underneath each one of their pictures. There was the Ovaltine drinking relay, the Andrea Doria survivor. Anyone who survived the crash of the sinking of the Andrea Doria got in for free. All these things, pasta arts and crafts, see if someone could come up with a Fusilli Jerry again. There was uh, umbre- Urban Sombrero Catch, Kramer's Lobster Trap, where they had to lower lobster traps from the sweet level to, and have, anyway, um, running errands for Mr. Pitt. Candy bar, you had, they had candy bars for sale with knives and forks. The second annual Elaine dancing contest. And <laughs> the real and spectacular or fake, fake, fake trivia contest. If you know what Seinfeld, what the, they're real and they're spectacular. You would know what that was all about. Anyway. So. There are many of them, but there is one more. There is one more 
minor league promotion. I just got to find where I put it here because it that was the all-time. I don't even know how they got away with this one. I really don't because this one was. What's the word I would use for this? Well, first of all, I, I forgot the other one. The um, there was free liposuction at one game. A woman, a woman was allowed to win. I don't know why they only chose women, but five finalists were chosen, and one woman won free liposuction, which ironically was on <laughs> All You Can Eat Day at the park, <laughs> which seems somewhat cruel. But anyway, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. I don't know how they got away with this. I'll be honest with you. This is. Um, I mean, it's for a good cause. It's for a good, it's, it's to raise awareness of something, but they had prostate cancer awareness night. Again, a good thing for people to be aware of, but first of all, the first thousand men into the park got a foam finger. <laughs> and then this one again, I don't, uh, I don't know how they got away with this. The general manager of the team, Andy Malovich was given a live prostate exam in the press box during the seventh inning stretch while he was singing, take me out to the ball game. <laughs> I, uh, I don't even know where to go without. First of all, kudos to Andy for being able to sing while someone was giving him a live prostate exam. I imagine that would require some level of concentration far beyond what I would be able to come up with. What I would, what would be coming out of my mouth at that moment would not be something that would be interpreted as in an in-tune version of take me out to the ball game. But anyway, there you go. There's the, um, there, there's the best minor league promotions, or at least some of them, uh, in honor of Bob Ross night that's coming up this weekend. And again, if you still don't know who Bob Ross is, run, don't walk to your YouTube machine at the end of the show tonight and type in Bob Ross, just like it sounds and enjoy the wondrousness that is Bob Ross. And I, you know what else though? I know what the best thing is. If you're thinking, oh, it's getting late. I'm not sure if I have time. Bob Ross will help you go to sleep. Bob Ross will lull you to sleep. Bob Ross, sadly, he's, he's left this earth. He's moved along. But the memory and the videos that we have of Bob Ross are a one, they're better than a warm cup of milk on a winter morning to put you to sleep. Bob Ross night. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.